If you have your Bibles, turn to 1 Corinthians 15, and we're going to be back in one of my favorite chapters in all of Scripture. Uh, 1 Corinthians 15 is a chapter that Paul is uh, devoting to a discussion on the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And last week we talked about this. We had a powerful time of worship last week. Uh, the Lord did some amazing things in some people's lives. He's, he's, he's moving and he's working in us and, and I'm, I'm thrilled about that. We're continuing this. Paul is talking to these people about the importance of the resurrection. If Jesus is risen, there are huge implications. And if he isn't risen, there are also huge implications. A few decades ago, Explorers found about 300 miles from the North Pole three mastheads sticking up out of the ice. A ship had gotten lodged in the ice a long, long time ago, and the remains are there, and they started to dig around and to explore this ship. What is this? What is this, this vessel? And they, they discovered that it is Captain John Franklin's ship of Her Majesty's Royal Fleet that set sail in 1845 to go and to claim the North Pole for the Queen of England. And when you read about that doomed expedition, what you see is on the front end of them leaving, it must have been just a magnificent display. It must have just been amazing because they had this ship. It was the best ship in the fleet, and they began to just fill this ship with all of the things that made their nation great. Things like this. They had these fine-pressed uniforms and extra fine-pressed uniforms, silk and cotton. They had this galley that had monogrammed china dishes and silverware, real silver silverware. In here, they had napkins that had been embroidered with Her Majesty's seal. They had a wine cellar that they put in the bottom of this ship. They brought on this player pump organ that would play 50 popular tunes so that they would always have this entertainment. They had a chef, a gourmet chef, a guy who would be insulted if they referred to him as Cookie on this boat ship. Sorry. And then they had this send-off, this big, beautiful, everybody's there, the nation's flag is flying, and off they go to claim the North Pole for the Queen. And then one day, there's a sailor standing on the bow of the ship, looking out into the sea, and he sees something floating around in the air, and what is it? It's a snowflake that lands in his hand. It's beginning to get colder and colder and then there's ice in the water and Arctic winds are starting to blow and they're cutting through these uniforms that make these people look so good. And they're beginning to become worried because as much as they did to represent the motherland when they set out on this journey, they're beginning to realize we actually did very little to prepare for what awaits us. Everybody died. No one made it out. 
They froze. There in the icy Arctic waters near the North Pole, they just, they just weren't ready for the conditions that awaited them. And so it begs a question for us as we're on a journey to a place that we have not been, life on the other side of this life. What if all we know is wrong? What if the preparations that we're making in this life for what awaits us are really a horrible miscalculation of the truth? That's what Paul is bringing up here. The thing about Captain Franklin's expedition and the consequences is you never really know the consequences that you're going to have to face until you're facing them. You see, it's not that the North Pole became icy and cold once their ship got close to it. It's always been what it is. The problem was they just didn't know it. And no matter how resplendent the ship that sails into those ice flows, that ship with all her expectations is eventually going to have to yield to the truth of the conditions that await. All of us, all of us are on an unstoppable journey toward the grave. That's just true. That's as true a statement as there ever was. We are all going there. And here's the thing. Also, all of us in this room, whether we would admit it or not, are theologians and philosophers when it comes to what lies on the other side of the grave. We may not have well-articulated theology or well-reasoned theology or philosophy of what it means to be a human, but we all have thoughts and ideas and convictions that we base our lives upon. Even those who say, well, no, not me, you can't possibly know what happens when you die. You're asserting something specific. And what you're asserting is that the answer to the question, what happens when you die, is unknowable. And that is a very specific doctrinal position to hold, right? To say that my position is to know what happens or where we go after death is an unknowable thing. Or even the person who would say, I don't even believe in God. So how can I have a theological position to say that you don't believe in God is to say something very specific about God. It's to say that God is nothing, that God is no one, and that's profoundly specific and particular. That is a theological view. You need to understand that. The people in Corinth were beginning to suggest that while they believed that Jesus was raised from the dead. They were a little fuzzy on their theology of whether it was an actual resurrection or not, and then about what that meant for them. Because he's raised, does that mean that we're raised? And the prevailing philosophy at the time was no. When you die, your body is liberated, or your, your spirit, your soul is liberated from this meat suit of a body that you're wearing around and glory of glories you're set free to be the disembodied spirit that you were always intended to be from the first place and Paul is saying no 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 (laughs) you need to understand how central the resurrection is to your eternity 
that the risen Christ is the, the central fact on which your faith stands or falls. You're either raised with him or you are a fool for believing what you believe. That's what he's saying. So Paul is responding to them as they're wavering on this idea of the resurrection. He's responding to them like he would be if he were in a ship that was, that was encountering Franklin's ship as they were heading out for the North Pole. And Paul knew the conditions and he saw and he's saying, whoa, stop. <laughs> you are not ready. You are not ready to face what's coming. Paul says if Christ isn't risen then the greatest needs that you have in your life are unmet. And you're a fool to have any hope at all. Let's read the passage and and spend some time unpacking it. And I want to say this. This is a pretty serious passage of Scripture. And we're not going to go a million miles deep, but we're going to go deep today. And I just want to ask you right now, Hang with me in this because this is important. This is, this is Paul wrapping up the book of 1 Corinthians, which we've been in since February. This is central to everything that he's talking about, the importance of the resurrection of Jesus. So here's 1 Corinthians 15, verses 12 through 20. Now if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. If Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. We're even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise, if it's true that the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. Then those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people the most to be pitied. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. Let me pray. Lord, Hold our attention to your word this morning. Help us to see how supremely you have met our deepest needs. And uh, we just thank you for meeting them. It's in your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen. Paul is spending his time in this letter speaking in negative terms. If Christ isn't raised, then. And I want to take three of these negatives that Paul puts out there and state them for us in the positive. He's saying, if this hasn't happened, then here's what's lost. But he's saying, but Christ is raised. So then what does that mean? What have we been given? Because Paul, like that ship encountering Franklin's ship, is telling them, hey, I have your greatest, I can supply your greatest needs. You have incredible needs that you don't know about, and I'm going to meet them for you. I'm going to unfold them for you. I'm going to show them to you. And that's what Paul's getting at here. So the first negative is Paul says, if Jesus didn't rise, then your faith is a lie. What you believe, you believe in vain. The positive of this is that we need truth. We, We need the truth. What are you counting on in your life right now? What are you counting on for eternity? What are you counting on to bring you to the other side? It's an important question. When Jesus stood before Pilate at his trial, Pilate asked Jesus, are you a king? 
And Jesus made this statement. He said, uh, and he's answering the servant of the king, Caesar. He's saying, I've come into this world to bear witness to the truth. And everyone who is of the truth listens to me. To which Pilate said, what is truth? He just kind of throws that question out there like, like it's unknowable. But what scripture tells us is no, here's what truth is. Truth is what has always been. It's what's been since before you were. It's what remains long after you're gone. Truth is what tells you what lies ahead and what you need to take with you to survive. Paul tells us here that Jesus' resurrection gives us this truth. And the truth is that you can trust the apostles' message. That's the first thing he says. You can trust the apostles' message. And what was their message? Their message was that if Christ wasn't raised, then the apostles' teaching has been empty. It's been in vain. What they were teaching stood or fell on the resurrected Christ. Now this matters because Paul and the other apostles are giving their lives for the message of the gospel. And the message of the gospel is that your salvation rests in the work of another in a transaction that took place not between you and Jesus but between Jesus and the Father. That he atoned for your sins by dying in your place. This is their message. They gave their lives to this. And if Jesus isn't raised, then these apostles are dying for nothing. And in fact, Jesus is dying for nothing too. His resurrection authenticates the truth that their message is about the power of him being risen. Jesus' resurrection reveals that God intends to save you through his son. The intent of God to save is Evident in the resurrection of Jesus. In verse 15, he says, We are found to be misrepresenting God if he isn't raised. Because what are they saying about God? They're saying, God raised Jesus from the dead to atone for your sins. And if he didn't, then they're telling lies about what God intended to do. God's intent was to save his people. If Jesus didn't raise, the apostles have misrepresented God's intent. But his resurrection reveals God means to save. And third, Jesus' resurrection proves that he's worthy of our trust. That he's worthy of our trust. If Christ is not risen, our faith is futile. If the apostles' message and God's intent to save are both untrue, and if Jesus was just another martyr who's lying in a grave somewhere, there's no Christianity. If there's no risen Christ, there is no Christianity because everything hinges on a risen Savior, a living Savior. Anyone who's ever trusted Jesus to accomplish anything real for them has done so in vain if he's not risen. Do you see what Paul's saying? Because Christians can be slippery about what they believe. This kind of flowery sort of, well, you know, it's just me and the Lord and I walk with him and he walks with me and I have these quiet times and all these great moments. You know, we talk like that, like there's this experiential dominant thread in the Christian life that we're, we're basically explaining Christianity as this experience that we have emotionally with the Lord. And what Paul is saying is, <laughs> your Christianity doesn't stand or fall on the emotional experience you're having in your devotional life. Your Christianity 
stands or falls on whether there is a risen Savior, whether there is an empty tomb or not. You can't conjure up biblical Christianity out of an emotional feeling. That's Paul's point. We're talking about something real. We're talking about something that happened. We talked last week. We're talking about something where there are eyewitnesses, people who have seen this. Because Jesus has risen from the grave, what the apostles are telling us about God's intent to save is verified. It's true because he is risen. Because Christ is risen, our faith in him rests on a foundation that's built on something that we desperately need, and that is give me the truth. Give me the truth. What really happened? How do I really make safe passage to the other side? You have a risen Savior. Your life is wrapped up in his. You need the truth. Christ is the truth. The second need that you have, you see it in the negative in verse 17. If Jesus didn't rise, you're still in your sin. The need that we have is we need forgiveness. We need forgiveness. I need to be forgiven of my sin. I need to be cleansed of my sin. I need my sin to be taken from me. Jesus died to meet a need. That's part of the obvious part of the Easter story is that Jesus died to meet a need. That he didn't just die as a martyr to inspire, but that he was doing something. He was laying down his life. But he also rose to accomplish something that just dying couldn't accomplish. Romans 4.25 puts it this way. Jesus was delivered up to die for our sins, and then he was raised for our justification. So he was delivered up to die for our sins, and he was raised for our justification. Jesus' resurrection accomplishes Our forgiveness. He died for our trespasses. He rose for our justification. Justification is a $50 word that means something really awesome and pretty simple. Here's what it means. It means that if you're justified in Christ, when the Father looks at you, he sees the righteousness of his Son only. Transaction between the Father and the Son on your behalf. That he looks at you and there is no sin against you anymore because you have been covered, cloaked, enrobed in the righteousness of Christ. You wear his righteousness like a shroud over you. And when God looks at you, it is as if you have never sinned. That's what it means to be justified, that all of your sins, past, present, and future, have been atoned for. This is central to Christianity. But you don't have it if you don't have a risen Savior. You need to be forgiven of your sins. You need your sins to be atoned for. You need the wage of your sin, death, to be overturned. And the risen Christ does that. He died for your sins, and then he rose victorious over the grave so that death could never, ever, ever hold him. And you are bound to him when your faith is in him in such a way that you are with him in that eternal life forever. Amen. Amen. If Jesus didn't rise, your sins aren't atoned for. If Jesus wasn't raised, his death was just ordinary. It was an ordinary death that did nothing to actually pay for our sins. I love how Paul is painting himself into a doctrinal corner. He's not leaving himself an out. He's saying, if he isn't raised, I'm a fool. But if he is raised, 
then he has defeated the power of sin and death. And if he's our savior, we are with him in that. The third negative, Jesus didn't rise. If Jesus didn't rise, then those who believed in him, believed in him have perished without hope. The positive is we need significance. We need to know who we are in this equation, where we stand, where our worth really resides. If Jesus didn't rise, those who believed in him have perished without hope. That's just a sad thought. I mean, you can picture it, right? All these buttoned down, trying to do our best to get through life and not cause any problems. Christians who aren't having any fun whatsoever because we're just trying to do the best that we possibly can. It's okay to smile at this. If you're a Christian, you've, you're either in that season right now or you've been through that season. You've burned your secular music. You know you have. <laughs> right? And we do these things. We say bad words and then we feel bad about saying them and we put our hand over our mouth and we say, I'm sorry. And we do all these things where we're going through life and it just looks to the outside world so often like, is the basic principle of Christianity to just not have any fun in this life? Is that the point? Why would you want to do that? And Paul is saying, yeah, look, if, if Christ isn't risen, um, then eat, drink, and be merry for tomorrow you die. Live it up. Live it up. But if he's risen, and he is seated at the right hand of God, alive forevermore, and we are bound to him, then Jesus' resurrection assures us that there is such a thing as life after death. If Jesus isn't raised, those who have died believing in him still perish and to perish is to experience the fullness of God's wrath. But if Jesus was raised, then those who have lived a life of faith in him don't perish. But instead, you live. And you live with him eternally. And the reason that you do is because your sins have been atoned for. He has justified you. He has made you righteous in his sight. And so there is joy in this life in knowing that the life to come is magnificent and glorious and wonderful and in the presence of the maker and lover of our souls. But it's not just that. It's not just that if he's risen, then I can live in this button-down life right now and go through all the rules because I know that on the other side it's going to be one big party. That's not the point either. Paul's saying, yeah, you can have hope in life after death, but also... You can know that in this life, you have incredible significance to the Lord, even now. That these days, there's joy, and there's wonder, and there is peace, and there is forgiveness, and there is burdens lifted, and I belong to him, and I walk with him, and I'm held by him. If he didn't rise, Christians, Paul says, should be pitied. Pitied. Because we followed a lie that holds nothing. But in obeying, he's saying, well, in obeying, we will have missed out if he hasn't risen on a lot of the carnal pleasures of this world. We will have missed out on a lot of things that, that others have said, man, it's a shame you missed out on that. And Paul's saying, if he hasn't risen, then you're to be pitied. Because all your faith has been has just been a religious exercise. And that's it. And that's it. And it's hollow. But his resurrection shows your faith isn't in vain. 
And thus we are to be, dare I say it this way, envied. If you believe in a risen Savior and you believe that a risen Savior has atoned for your sins and he has risen and he has atoned for your sins, it's not just that you're not to be pitied, but that you're holding to something that should be envied. Eternal hope and peace. Not something you boast in for yourself, but something that is supremely enviable. Because as John Piper writes, there is in every one of us the longing that our lives would count for something. That we don't come to the grave and say, I've wasted it. Paul ends this chapter saying, be steadfast, be immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. If Christ isn't raised, then we should pity anybody who trusts in him for anything. You know why? Because he's dead. But his resurrection assures us Not only is there life after death, but there is great significance in this life because all we do in his name is eternally significant, eternally valuable. All our days are ordered and numbered by him, Psalm 139. Paul's been expressing what's hypothetically lost if Christ isn't risen. Your faith is futile, because you're still in your sins. God hasn't intended to save you. He's off somewhere doing something else. He's left you for dead. Paul's life is preaching. His investment in the gospel has been for nothing. He's been a fool. Still, many are avoiding the question that Paul begs. And the question that Paul begs is this. What if he's risen? What if he's risen? Are you sure? that you're right about what you believe concerning the value of your life right now? Are you sure that you're right about what you believe about your standing before God and what comes after the grave? What do you base that on? Are we like Franklin's crew where we're just happily packing everything we like to think that we'll need and we'll enjoy for what is to come with very little sense of what we're going to actually need? Hear me on this. This is a sober point. It's not only Christians who should be pitied for basing their entire life on a lie. Anyone who bases their entire life on a lie should be pitied. But in fact, Paul says, He is risen. Jesus Christ has been raised from the dead. He is the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. Jesus is risen. He's gone on to secure a place for us for all eternity to be in his presence forever. Look, I don't know where you are in all of this. I know that the Lord has been doing some powerful things in some people's lives in this room over the last several weeks. I know that he's been calling people to himself. I also know that this is a church where 
we don't really do altar calls. We don't really, you know, have these moments of, hey, here's an invitation for you to come to faith. Let me tell you something, though. Here's an invitation for you to come to faith. We're not going to stop the service and have people come forward, but I want all of us to know every week is an invitation for you to respond to the Lord's speaking into your heart. If he's stirring something in you and you don't know him, he's doing something. He's awakening you. He's calling you to himself. And I would plead with you, don't be like Franklin's crew sailing off into something where you have no idea what's coming. But respond to Christ. For those of you who are believers, who profess faith, who say, I believe that Jesus is risen, Paul's asking a young church to think, to think about what they believe, what they really believe, who they are, where they're going, where they find their significance, where their forgiveness rests. Let the word of God search your heart this morning. Let it turn over. Are you counting on yourself for your own righteousness? Are you playing fast and loose with the gospel and wanting to hold on to certain parts of it because they, how they make you feel, but wanting to discard other parts of it? You needed Jesus to die for your sins. That wasn't God overpaying your debt of sin. That was him sufficiently, perfectly meeting your need for forgiveness and redemption. The gospel is calling us. It's calling us. Christ is calling us. Hear me. Respond to me. Do you have what you need? Pray with me. Lord, I have friends in this room whose stories I know portions of. Stories of moments when you have captured their hearts, when you have broken their hearts. Stories of people whose marriages have been to the edge and they've looked over the edge and you have, by your grace, pulled them back. Stories of people who have taken foundational truths that they've grown up with their entire lives and have now become just so unsure of anything anymore. Stories of people who have been caught in sin and exposed and have had to wrestle with what it means to be restored. People who have lost so much people who have been given so much. Lord, there is not one simple story in this room. Every heart in this room is full to overflowing. Some hearts in this room maybe are frozen cold, but there is no simple story in this room. We are all of us theologians and philosophers when it comes to our significance in this life and in the life to come. And so, Lord, I pray that you would barge into the living room of our hearts right now, each of us, and sit us down and remind us of the gospel, that you would bring life to us 
where we are otherwise lifeless. That you would rescue us from the consequences of our sins and our brokenness, the paths that we walk in secret. Father, I thank you so much for the way that you use the church to care for the church. I thank you for the way that you use your people to love each other. But Lord, we are reminded today that the greatest, greatest gift that we have, the greatest answer to our deepest needs is that we have a risen, living Savior. Lord Jesus, would you remind us of this all the time, that you are not distant, that you are not sleeping, and that you are certainly not dead, but that you are alive and reigning at the right hand of God in all power and glory and wonder and majesty. And would you cause our hearts to worship and to trust you and to rest in you in the gospel. Thank you that we have a risen Savior, Lord Jesus. Would you shape the quality of our lives around his life? It's in your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen.